Looking for fun, safe content for the children in your church? Welcome to Right Now Media, a digital library that includes more than 2,000 wholesome, educational, and entertaining videos for kids. Giddy up, Space Cowboy! Time to rock this rocket! The Kids Library has over 140 different shows that are both entertaining and biblical. Today, we'll see the very interesting way Paul wraps up his letter. With a bow tie! With polka dots! These kids episodes are great for family night, daily devotions, or everyday life. Through Right Now Media, you'll gain access to content like Superbook, Veggie Tales, the Slugs and Bugs Show, The Mr. Phil Show, and many more. Give your kids great content anytime, anywhere, on any device. Whoa! That was a blast! Okay, well, if you do not have access to Right Now Media, that's one of the resources that we want to make available to you, especially when it comes to the kids. It is Netflix. For Christians, okay? So if you're looking for uh, just some supplemental resources, video series, uh, different things like that, there's all kinds of kids programming on there. It's a great resource, and we'll give it to you for free. And not only you, but if you have neighbors, if you have family members, other people in the community, we can distribute that to whoever we want. So it's as simple as getting us an email, we'll send you a link, and then you get your own logon and everything. It's a really cool deal. So especially in this time where things are goofy and we're slowly getting our kids' stuff back to, back to normal here in the midst of the COVID world, It's a great resource to have, so let us know if you'd like to jump in on that. Well, as Brian said, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the Word today. We'll get to that in a second, but first, do me a favor and pull out your cell phone. I know you all have one. I actually have a text message to read. Pull out your phones for me. All right, everybody's got one. Mom and Dad got one, whatever. All right, so did you know that this device in your hands is far more powerful than the computers used to put Neil Armstrong on the moon. All right, some of you probably have heard that over the years. They had rooms full of computers that did not compare to this device right here. And this is just an iPhone 8. I'm like four generations behind. And yet this thing is stronger than the computers that sent the Apollo missions into space. And, and many of you kids, my kids have the devices at home and they play the Roblox and, and uh, Minecraft and all kinds of goofy stuff on there. But these things are pretty amazing things. And not only can you do uh, games and stuff like that, but you can find any piece of information that you want. You could get, uh, you got the GPS on here. You got dropped off in the middle of nowhere. You could find it. If you had any kind of a cell phone tower, you can find your way back home. Now, I had a different phone growing up. Uh, it looked like this. It was a Motorola phone. Uh, that was my first cell phone ever. And that thing, I think it could, um, it could call. It could text in an emergency, but there was three letters on every button. And so if I wanted to type the letter C, I'd have to hit the number two three times to get the C. And then it was just, Anna, it took forever to send those messages. I think it maybe had a calculator on there, maybe. Certainly couldn't do email couldn't do photos, couldn't do video. I don't even think I had solitaire on that phone. So it was a pretty, pretty nasty phone. But the phones we have now are so amazing. You, you can obviously get yourself anywhere with them, but you can also look up any piece of information, right? It's impossible to have a conversation without being fact-checked because you'll be like, man, I swear as a country, we drink like a billion pounds of coffee every year. And some of you are like, hmm, hold on. 
Oh, I just Googled that. It's actually a million pounds of coffee every year, so but, but good try, right? And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Now we're both dumber just for having the conversation. But you have all that useless information at your disposal, celebrity birthdays, favorite drinks, historical facts, the scores to the game, all the answers and information at our fingertips, and 99.9% .9 of it is dumb. But that's what we have available to us. We live in unprecedented times and not because of a virus, right? You've heard that word over and over, unprecedented, unprecedented. There have been viruses before, and in about 98 years, I think we're due for another one because they supposedly happen every 100 years of what I've been reading on Google. Uh, but it's not unprecedented because of the virus. It's unprecedented because of the information and answers that is available to us in these days. And here's, here's the frustrating thing about that situation. We have more access to information, more access to correct answers, more answers to truth than ever before in human history, and yet we still make stupid decisions and do the wrong things over and over again. It's like walking into a dark room with a flashlight and choosing not to use it. You just kind of stumble around. And when it comes to our lives, a lot of times we know the right thing to do. We know we shouldn't linger on those websites, but we still do. We know we shouldn't get angry at some of the ridiculous things that people say, and we still do. We know this whole list of things that we shouldn't do and shouldn't take part in, but it still happens. And what we're dealing with is this reality. Knowing and doing are very different things. It's a huge difference between those two things. But when, and, and, and the Bible says that when we ignore what we know and do something different, that's called foolishness. But if we do what we know is right, that's called wisdom. And many of us, you and me and very different ages and kids and students, we're all being affected by the goofy stuff happening here in 2020. And that we're trying to figure out work and we're trying to figure out school. We're trying to figure out how to, how to rise above what we're experiencing in order to experience something healthy and something true. Having a hard time knowing how to approach the present, let alone the future. And so what I want to do is I want to send you home today with just a kind of a quick message, um, nothing too earth-shattering, earth but kind of start to bring us back to some of the foundational things that not only this church is built on, but the body of Christ is built on. So if you're an adult, if you're a kid, if you're a student, I, I want to send you home with this important truth today, and it's this, that the truth will change you, the truth can change you if you let it if you let it. See, and I, and I think specifically of some of our kids and some of our students, because as you watch the news and read some of the articles, there's a lot of people saying how much you're losing this year, right? How, how much you've lost as a result of this COVID thing. You lost maybe some lost confidence, maybe some deterioration in mental health, maybe lost year of education, maybe some lost experiences, maybe some lost social skills because of your time away from in-person learning. And, and a lot of that is probably true in some ways, but I want to say, what if, what if you have something available to you besides school, besides what the government offers, besides human structures that we tend to fall back on and lean on? What if you have something different available to you? The truth will change you if you let it. I want to show you what I mean, a quick story, way back in 2 Kings chapter 21, um, and I'm going to read a few verses here, and then I'm kind of backtrack a little bit and tell you where we're at and what's happening, but to get us started, 2 Kings chapter 21, starting in verse 23, and it'll be on the screen, and if you're watching on Facebook Live, it'll be on the screen there too, because we upgraded, it's so awesome. 
cost a crap ton of money, but that's okay. Trying to make it better. I'm happy about it. Joe's back there running it, doing a good job, because he has to do whatever I tell him. It's a, it's a really sweet deal. It's good to be the boss. All right, 2 Kings 21, 23. Amon's officials conspired against him and assassinated the king in his palace. Then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against King Amon, and they made Josiah his son king in his place. As for the other events in Amon's reign and what he did, aren't they written in the book of the annals of the king of Judah? He was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah his son succeeded him as king. So just a quick backtrack so we kind of know where we're at. These books, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, they go through and kind of list some of the details of all the different kings, not only of Israel, but of Judah, because what happened was, you guys know King David, David and Goliath had the issue with uh, King Saul early on, and then David was made king, great king, had his issues, but great king, and then David had a son, King Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, wrote most of the book of Proverbs, but after Solomon, the nation split, and so it went from just Israel to Israel and Judah. And so we had these two nations. And so the books of the kings and the chronicles, it kind of outlines, okay, this was the king of Judah, and this is what he did, and at the same time was the king of Israel, and this is what he did, and this is how they interacted, and it goes through the generations. And so that's where we find ourselves. And what happened was there was a few okay kings, a few okay. A couple of kings were great. They were awesome, but a few of them were okay, and the Bible says they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But most of the kings were awful, horrible kings. And it said those kings did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And every king kind of has that section of their little biography that is written in the Bible. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so most of them, as I said, were horrible kings. And unfortunately, they were horrible because of themselves, because all of them, except for a couple, were adults. They were fully capable of knowing what was right and doing what was right. All of them were adults except for a couple of them. Kind of an interesting deal. So, so I read that little section, and Amon got assassinated, and then people came and took those people out. Pretty brutal turn of events, and yet at the same time, pretty normal when you think of like king stuff, right? Whether you read Shakespeare or watch Disney movies, this is kind of normal stuff. Like even Mufasa got assassinated, right? He got taken out. That's how things go in real life and in the world of Disney. And so pretty normal things. And then it's pretty normal for Josiah to take over. Like as king dies, king gets thrown out, and the son takes over. Firstborn son, chosen son, whatever it is. So up to this point, a fairly normal course of events when it comes to kings and nations. But let's jump in here. I'm going to finish that last verse and then jump into verse 22. And it says, Josiah, his son, succeeded him as king. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Eight years old. Can you imagine an eight-year-old being in charge of you? So you got some kids in here. Imagine if your parents went out on a date night and hired a babysitter and it showed up and the person was eight years old. And like, all right, little Billy's in charge. Do whatever he says. You can make the Kraft macaroni, right? Like, it's uh, completely ridiculous. And then imagine that eight-year-old being your boss. Imagine that eight-year-old being the king of of a country. Well, a few of us, uh, a few years ago, were thinking through this. We were actually, the video I want to show is a couple years old, 
Uh, it was a group of youth pastors, and we were doing a, a lesson for some students and saying, man, what, we, what would it look like? We wanted to talk about some of the more influential kids in Scripture. And we were trying to think, man, what would it look like for a kid to be in charge, like for a kid to have all the unquestioned authority? And so what we did was we grabbed my son, Talon, and he was only three or four years old at the time, and we put him in a position of power just to see how it would play out. So check it out. Well, I'm going away. Um, uh, spring, summer is always a busy time for our ministry, uh, and through different chains of, of events, I'm going to be stepping in and leading our Columbia trip with our college students. Um, but anytime you go away as a boss, you, you want to make sure things are taken care of. So for me, I brought somebody in just as an interim, um, somebody who shares the same organizational DNA, so to speak, um, just to care for the team, to keep pushing things forward while I'm out for a couple weeks. Uh, but I think they're well taken care of, and really it's it's one less thing for me to worry about while, while I'm out of the country. So it um, should be positive. So Justin's gone, and it's been a disaster. I just don't know what he wants from me. Our new boss is just so demanding all the time. And it's starting to get to some people. So that was our attempt. It was in the days of the office, and so that was our attempt to d display what it might look like for a child to be in charge. Now, it's certainly ridiculous to think of an eight-year-old being the king of a country, but look at verse 2 of chapter 22. He, Josiah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David. Actually, great, 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 great grandfather David. Not turning aside to the right or to the left. He was a good king. He was a great king. If, if a king in those days was being compared to David, it means they were awesome. Like that is the measuring stick. It's like saying that president is like President Lincoln, or he compares to President George Washington. Like if, if you're being put in that category, you're doing something right. And so he did it right, which is amazing. It's miraculous given the start that he was given at eight years old. And here's why he succeeded. Here's why he was a great king. Got to backtrack again. See, I said most of the kings were horrible, right? Most of the kings were terrible. But maybe the worst was Josiah's grandfather. See, Josiah's grandfather was also made king at a young age. He was made king at 12 years old, but he was so awful. It's believed that he had all the copies of God's word destroyed so that other people couldn't check back on it and see how evil he really was. 
So he was going to do his thing. He was going to lead the nation into false gods and false idols and all this evil stuff. And he didn't want people to compare it with what God had said. So he had it all destroyed. And the nation became so off, so evil, that not only was God's word lost, but an entire generation had forgotten and didn't even know it existed until a building project began. See, Josiah, as he got older, at about 26 years old, he had been king for 18 years, and he wanted to start restoring some of the glory of their history. Wanted to restore the temple where people had worshipped for so many years and where God's presence had dwelt. And he said, listen, I want you to hire whoever you have to hire. I want you to pay whatever you have to pay. This place has meant so much to our people. We've got to get things back in order. And in the process... And you guys have done renovations with your house, right? You got stacks of boxes, so you move them over to this side, and you work on this part of the house. And then you move all the boxes back to the other side of the house, so you can work on this part of the house. So I imagine that kind of thing happening. They're, they're moving things around, moving the temple around, trying to restore this thing to what it once used to be. And a book was found. It was found by a priest who had no idea what it was. And when you find out what it was, it's going to make you really sad that this priest had no idea what it was. But this priest took the book and gave it to one of the guys in charge and said, hey, we've found this book. This seems kind of important. And so that guy read it, and that guy went and read that book to King Josiah. And here's how it played out in 2 Kings 22.10. says, then Shapen, the secretary, he informed the king. Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read, from, read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. See, they had found the Bible. Not the Bible as we have it. It was just the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God's story, how he had brought his people out of Egypt and given them the Ten Commandments and given them the law and brought them into the promise and all of these things that have been destroyed by Josiah's grandpa. And they read it and discovered all these amazing things, but there was a problem. The Bible was telling them how to live, and it was the exact opposite of how they had been living, the exact opposite of how the kings had been leading and how the people had been worshiping for generations. And so Josiah is, is just distraught. He's part angry, part guilty, feeling some shame, feeling some frustration because they weren't following God's truth at all. But now they had a choice. They could be foolish and even though they knew what was right, continue to do what was wrong or they could be wise and they could do what God had commanded them, do life the way he had told them to do it and let it change them. And they made their choice. 2 Kings twenty-two thirteen. Josiah says, Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And then jump down to chapter 23, verse 1. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, his statutes and his decrees 
with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people, they pledged themselves to the covenant. They had discovered the truth. Many of them for the first time, they discovered what God actually said and they recognized the mistakes and the errors they had been making, where they had gone different from what God had said in their ignorance. And so then they listened to advice on how they needed to proceed, right? Hey, find the priests, find the prophets, find the elders. What does this all mean? Where are we supposed to go with this? What are we supposed to do with this? And then they studied it in and out to get a clearer picture of what God was saying and what he was asking of them. And then the biggest step of all, They recommitted themselves to stand on it, to teach it, to live by it, to fight for it. This is what happens when someone truly encounters the truth and lets it mess with them in the best possible way. As I said at the beginning, the truth will change you. The truth can change you if you let it. Guys, we live in a time where the Bible is the most accessible book in human history. We, we have like the exact opposite problem that Josiah faced. We, we have unprecedented access to the truth, but what do we do with it, right? This is in, it's in print, it's on your phone, you can Google it, and if you Google the Bible, you'll have access to hundreds of translations and hundreds or even thousands of languages. Plus, you probably drove past a half dozen churches on your way to this church. We have all kinds of access to God's word and what he says and the truth of scripture. I believe God has something for you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got provision for you. He's got a future plan for you. He's got promises that need to be kept. He's got a full life in store for you. And you don't have to wonder what it is. You don't have to wonder how to experience it and how to pursue it. It's all right here. And in the midst of a year, probably the most frustrating thing about 2020 as we look back on this has been just not knowing who to believe, right? People you used to believe you found out are liars and people that you used to think were were full of it are the ones actually saying what is true. And then you find out that they're lying too. And then there's the, the spin based on political party and spin based on everybody's background and what they're experiencing and, and, and a hidden agenda. And yet here we are with the only truth you can rely on, the only truth that can change you. And so here's what we're going to do. Going into 2021, I, I would love to see our church each of us as individuals, as families, get back to this as our foundation and our only source of truth. I don't care what news program you like to watch. I don't care what articles you like to read. This is it. And so when we get into 2021, we're going to challenge the entire church to jump in on a 100-day reading plan with us. It's called the Essential 100. And it takes you through the entire Bible, not verse by verse, not word by word, but a 100 pivotal passages that lay out God's word and his narrative and his story for us from beginning to end. And we're not going to do a full teaching series on it. We'll start with a couple weeks to introduce it, and then we'll go off and do something else, and we'll come back for a couple weeks and hit some of the key stories, and and then we'll finish up right around Palm Sunday and Easter. But we as a church, certainly the body of Christ around the world, but we as a church want to recommit to God's word as the foundation for everything, our only source of truth. And so as we get into the new year, we're going to be throwing that challenge out to you, and I hope that you jump in with us because it's the only thing of all the things we like to communicate, 
of all the things we like to stand on, this is the only thing that we should be shouting from the rooftops and staking our reputation on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the freedom to gather here this morning. Thank you for the technology and the tools to be able to broadcast this so our friends at home can, can join in with us and worship with us. God, we thank you for keeping this church close, keeping it united, keeping it strong, even through a difficult year. And God, I pray that as we go into the new year, that we would have this opportunity to refocus on you and what you've told us, the truth that you've given us, the calling that you've given to us. And God, as we go into this Christmas season, as all the things in our lives try to steal the glory from you, God, I pray that you would steal it right back. May Thanksgiving be about you. May Christmas be about you. And may the new year be about you. God, help us to lead the charge and do amazing things in this community through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon.